Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 911, what's your emergency? I can't find Captain Nash and his wife's cruise ship. Somebody Tonight, 911 comes to ABC. If we're going to make it out of here, we got to work together. Tonight at 9 on ABC, followed by 7 News at 11. She was hired to fix DC's 911 problems. It was the worst I'd ever seen. But instead says she was fired for exposing the failures. The blame belongs in leadership. Now the I-team digs into what fueled the mayor's decision. Tonight on 7 News at 5. Tomorrow, maidens and gentle heathens, tis I, your wizard, holding on at the con McNeilakalin. Welcome to the festivities. Would you like me to set a whip on fire and hit yon lass with it? Hey, have some mead. Take your genitals out and let all relax and rejoice, eh? And it's me, a talking pair of really pushed up boobs in a bodice. I know you're looking. I'm <laughs> glad you're looking. I added little gems. There's like a carrot sticking out of me. Uh, I added some paint on there. Really, just go nuts, guy. Just have fun. I'm <laughs> glad they're out here. You're glad they're out here. It's the Ren Fair, baby. Look at these. Look at them. We're having a blast. Don't touch, though. For the love of God, what the fuck is wrong with you? Hell Don't touch. yeah, dude. Bruiser, it's, Jake. <laughs> let's talk about Renaissance fairs for a minute or two, dude. Alas, my love, you do do me wrong to cast me off discourteously. And I have loved you oh so long. Delighting in your company Green sleeves was my delight Green sleeves, my heart of gold A fiddly dee and hurrah What do you mean this meat pie's 40 bucks That seems really high But fuck it, I'm hungry <laughs> Wow, what a beautiful, beautiful uh, song you just sang, Jake That was amazing, thank you so much That was a beautiful, I'm sorry Rather a beautiful Elizabethan magical You just bestowed <laughs> upon us I love a Ren Fair. Yeah. I was sad I didn't go this past year. A bunch of people went. I also love how the Ren Fair has changed. I went when I was a kid and I absolutely loved it. I love the sword fighting show. And I really I think I feel like I went when I was like uh supposed to hate everything too. Mm-hmm. And and I wanted to hate the Ren Fair, but it like totally like softened me up because they had a museum of torture mm-hmm. and they had uh, the uh, the cool sword fighting and everybody was having a good time. And, you know, I it's funny. We're a nerd culture podcast, but I feel like this might be one of the nerdiest things we'll be covering in our in our his in our history. Um, at least it was considered that. Something happened between the time that I went to a Ren Fair and Ren Fairs now. Mm-mm. Now they're like really cool things to do and everybody accepts them. They were so uncool when we when we were like at the specific chi- young age to go. Okay. And it was- All right. You're, you're you're tapping into something, Holden. It's I'm going to jump in. Do you mind if I jump in on this? Please get that parachute out. Let's go. So uh, already you're talking about like, yeah, I was a little kid and I was I feel like I was supposed to hate it, but it was just fucking rad. And the number one thing about the Ren Fair, it is not actually about historical reenactment. No, they say that's what it's about. There's a lot of people that do kind of care about that sort of thing happening. But when you actually get there, it is not about learning all that much. It is about looking at falcons and getting drunk and staring at boobs and watching a guy get fucking knocked off a horse at 40 miles per hour while a lance splinters. It's about buying cool swords. It is about uh, watching a juggler tell dirty jokes while your dad is like trying to stand still because he's throwing knives near his face. It's about it's about talking like an asshole to your friend all day in a weird <laughs> uh, made up 
concept of what people would talk like in medieval times, kind of like how we opened the show. It's 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 totally just a shenanigan fest, you know, where you just go and be silly and have fun. And the thing you're talking about where it was shat on is part of a greater just cultural mind war that has existed since its beginning because the Renaissance Fair pretty much gave birth to the 1960s counterculture. If you think hippies are full of shit, if you have like a weird, uh, if you have, if you're like a 90 year old man who watches too much cable news and thinks college students are out of control, you hate the Ren Fair because you think they're silly. You have no idea why they're dressing up in big floofy outfits and calling each other Malord, or you watched a sitcom episode from the 80s where someone was like, a fax machine? What be that, yon sire? This be Elizabethan era. That's bullshit. That is never what it was about. The Ren Fair is a place for the radicals, the freaks, the sex uh, criminals. I mean, not like actual mm-hmm. sex criminals. I mean, the people outside of the standard heteronormative. Put them in the stocks. This is a place <laughs> that has always been intention with its like uh, role as a business, as a place where money is exchanged, a place where you want the uh, mundanes, as they are called, uh, to walk around in their cargo shorts and spend a bunch of money on beer and a pewter drinking uh, tankard, and a place where the patrons, the people who are there to role play, the people who are there to express themselves, this almost an entire like... 10 acre sphere in which all the rules of improv and commedia del arte apply to everyone within the bubble. A place where you are living, maybe not a faithful recreation of Renaissance times, but you are like agreeing to be in an analog bubble. And the fact that it's this place where you're basically Bachelor of Arts degrees and carny culture <laughs> all collide has been just organically evolving and surviving and spreading across this entire time. It's a place where, you know, street performers hone their craft. It's a place where cultural movements start. It is this incredibly freeing sense of play that is all kind of uh, enwrapped in this guise of semi-educational outdoor family fun. And the fact that it exists on both these planes of existence where there are families being like, have you ever wanted to know how a horseshoe is made? Here, yon squires, listen to this tale. And then as they're like paying attention to the blacksmith exhibition, there's like eight swingers and dog collars being dragged by buxom maidens. (laughs) Like all of this is happening in parallel. And it is this fascinating thing. And it sucks up anybody that's outside of the mainstream. It is just catnip to anybody that wants to just experience a sense of play, a sense of danger, a sense of ribaldry. And I just, the more you think about it, the more you realize that more so than like any sort of like historical reenactment, because, you know, they do this, they do, uh, you know, jousting tournaments in Europe. They do uh, sort of like uh, historical villages all over the place. But the Ren Fair, the American Ren Fair, is this truly magical thing that is uniquely American, full of contradictions, full of danger, full of uh, compromise and fucking kowtowing to the almighty dollar, constantly in flux, constantly at war, that makes it such a fascinating topic. You know, I I feel like also, though, nice, Jake, by the way, good work. I feel like... Also, the cultural perception of the Ren Fair has changed so much because, like, it's sparking the counterculture the, uh, or being so in line with the hippie movement in the 60s is actually really cool. When we were kids and it was happening, um, it was kind of a sign of not cool. Like, it was kind of like, uh, I hope no, I hope that none of like that, the cool kids see, uh, end up at like spotting me at this Ren Fair, you know what I mean? Like, or something like that. I feel like the grunge movement, the early 2000s didn't quite gel culturally with it. Then nerd shit became cool again and like dressing up like characters and going to a public event. And especially now, I mean, you literally have fucking Zelda, you know, at the Ren Fair, right? Oh, you got Zelda at the Ren Fair. Um, Geralt of Rivia, huge hit. Oh, yeah. If If you have a gym membership, you're buying yourself a gray ass wig and going to the Ren Fair as Geralt. 
Um, there has been movements where the Pirates of the Caribbean movies meant mm-hmm. that. Uh, you know, we were just sick with Jack Sparrows roaming the place, even though obviously the age of the pirate was like 300 years after the Renaissance. Makes no fucking sense. But it doesn't matter right, because right. it's just a way to play in that analog, just anything goes spirit where you can honestly be interacting with people in character, having no idea whether they're actually on the like payroll or if they're just there to have fun and be someone else for an entire weekend. Yeah, I like to go as Franklin Delano Roosevelt having a psychotic break. <laughs> I uh, uh, I just go and I'm just like, what is this? Who are these people? You know, and I have people chase me around with uh, straight jackets. It's a lot of fun. I have a lot of respect for the Star Trek away team groups that just always. hold over tricorders and act real confused. <laughs> yes, always. You have to have it. And... You know, but but what's cool about the Ren Fair is really o- only up until recently when people are more and more using it as like almost it's it's almost like akin to a Comic Con or or an anime mm-hmm. convention. Like people are just showing up in all sorts of different costumes and really mixing it up. The Ren Fair has stayed pretty purely what it is this whole time, which is really amazing to see that it really hasn't evolved in massive ways. And that's a good thing. I think you can kind of set your watch by what you're going to find at a Ren fair, you know, in terms of like the type of shows you're going to see the crafts you're going to get, you know, and for some people it's their entire lives. It's like an amazing persistent thing that's existed since the sixties. And I don't know that it's ever been more popular than now, because now every year the Ren fair is just, I'm constantly seeing social media posts of people going to the Renaissance Fair, making it a huge deal, a big, but you know, especially like influencers and stuff like love that shit, mm-hmm. you know, they all dress up and it's such a big part of the year for people. And it's really cool to see. I, I really have so much respect for the Renaissance Fair. I didn't even realize the one that I can go to. I wish I had gone a big group of people went this past year and I didn't go with them and I so should have. But I'm just kind of finally getting out of like my baby fog and mm-hmm. being able to do things. Um, so I want to go to the next one. It's like the OG fair, essentially. It's, uh, you know, it's really like the 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 original recipe. So I really want to go next year. But regardless, it, it's such a cool thing and uh, I'm glad we're finally doing an episode on it because it is just the nerdiest shit ever. Hold on, what, uh, let's just bounce back and forth for a second. I want just like just just gut instinct. When I say Ren Fair, what are the sights, the sounds, the images, the objects? Like, uh, you're at the Ren Fair. Like, what, what is there? Go. Older guy with a really long white beard uh, playing like a lute. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Definitely, the, I already mentioned the sword fighting. You've got, um, you know, you've got the beer maidens, mm-hmm. the beer winches or whatever, pouring you t- an awesome off the tap mead. Um, what else do we have? Uh, that weird rope game where you climb up the ladder, but it flips you on your ass. Yes, the weird rope game where you climb up the ladder. I don't think they're at all of them, but I already mentioned again, the torture museum. I remember was my, one of my favorite things as a kid. I really loved that. Turkey legs. Giant turkey legs. Turkey all legs, them. big frothy glasses of, of beer, um, all that good stuff. Yeah, for sure. And, and nature. Magic shows. Magic shows. And being sweaty and like everybody's like not, you know, everybody's looking good, but not like kind of um, drenched and, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, unkept in, in a fun way. There's horse poop on the ground and everybody acknowledges it, but like it's part of the price of admission. The kind of busking you'd see at Union Square, but everyone's just mm-hmm. wearing medieval clothes, magic tricks, uh, little uh, juggling, juggling, acrobatics, <laughs> all sorts of stuff. So- just that, that weird bird man that we watched who just bounces on a ball and calls like a bird. Like it's not even like an act. It's, <laughs> it is an act, but it's like just bizarre. And you're like, what even is this? Is this a comedy act? Is this magic? Comedy for sure. Definitely um, clowniness, but in a medieval way, gestures, that sort of thing. Um, Knives, blades. Pewter. Pewter as far as the eye can see. Medallions, pendants. Barely not a carnival. Mm -hmm. Just like almost a carnival, but everybody's in medieval garb. Uh, Jousting and all that fun stuff uh, is great. Medieval times for sure. I almost want to do like a side segment on medieval times. Maybe we'll do its own episode on that someday. It's interesting I watched a documentary and they tried to explain that most of the jousting you see at a Ren Fair is all predetermined 
because uh, in throughout the 70s and 80s, there were just one too many accidents where someone got like a splinter of lance just crammed in their brain and they couldn't walk anymore. Mm. But uh, talking to my friend uh, Violet Gray, uh, listen to the bonus feed if you want to hear that full conversation. There's actually been a resurgence because so many of the uh, lancing, you know, the jousting people uh, already are sick of like putting on a show because they usually work at medieval times. Also, shout out to the Medieval Times Union in New Jersey. Stay strong, my brothers. And so now at a lot of Ren fairs, they're bringing back like actual competition. And there are and, you know, these are people sincerely just gunning for each other's fucking solar plexus on horseback, which I found fascinating mm -hmm. that like there's even that there's jocks. There's jocks within the Ren fair. There are, you know, there's legends of the kind of debauched and just or, you know, orgiastic parties that happen in the camp after closing time with all of these people hyped up on booze and pills and adrenaline and the thrill of the show with just all removing their very confining clothing and going nuts on each other. It's just, you know, the occult, tarot, paganism. All of these things that in theory should not be, uh, you know, celebrated in modern American culture, just out on full display with no shame. And I feel like it's the shamelessness. Yeah. It's the shamelessness that gave it such a pushback in culture because it's that same shamelessness that's like, ah, stinky hippies right. or like, ah, you know, the idea of like, ah, why is that lady got her boobs out? She's not even hot. And it's like, no, no, she is hot here. Here she is hot. Yeah, I, I even loved, you know, we talked about this a little bit, but... Um, I am uh, going to keep talking about boobs throughout the entire episode. It is part of the culture. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Sex and relationship advice columnist and podcaster Dan Savage always referred to Halloween as straight pride. Mm -hmm. And Rin Fairs kind of have that a little bit too. We always talk about the weird underlying horniness of Rin Fairs. And I think that is also because... It's kind of another version of, of of straight pride a little bit for some people. It allows some people who are very conservative in their day-to-day -day life. I'm not saying it's just for straight people, but it allows those people who are very tightly, you know, reined in, especially probably people with a lot of, let's say, social anxiety mm -hmm. that feel out of place in normal society that are really quiet until they go home and they get on their PCs and they start like playing video games with friends and that those kinds of people. They can come here and pretend to be something else and like let it all hang out in a way. It just lets you let go of how you think you need to act, let's say, at like the mall, you know, or something like that, or your office job. You can, you just, you dress up in the clothes and you start to get just silly and weird and everybody's being kind of vagabondish because, I mean, all the people working there, most of them are traveling around the world. All That's their whole, you know, lifestyle is being kind of vagabonds. And I think everybody just gets sucked in, like you said, to this just ribaldry that is uh, unaccepted in, in their day-to-day. -day. And I think that is a lot of fun. And that's that's kind of what what is the draw for the Ren Fair. Um, I think we should get into it. Let's the history get into it. Of the Renaissance Fair. Renaissance or medieval fairs, also known as Ren Fairs, outdoor gatherings, recreating the English Renaissance, involving music, theater, crafts for sale, foods that harkens to that time. The first one formally was titled the Renaissance Pleasure Fair and May Market, it happened in Agora, California, right by Malibu, as a way to educate school children and families alike. It was created by Phyllis Patterson, who before the first public one in 1963, held the Renaissance Pleasure Fair for her summer class in her backyard in Los Angeles. So in 1960, uh, Phyllis, she she's a really, really uh, awesome person, interesting person. She left her job as a high school English teacher and history teacher uh, out of Tennessee. She ends up getting this guy, Ron, Ron Patterson. 
and they end up in uh, Los Angeles, and she has a baby, and she eventually, so so she ditches her high school teaching gig and uh, just starts raising this kid, and then eventually, you know, she wants to get some extra work, so she gets a part-time job at her neighborhood youth center to run backyard drama and art sessions for middle schoolers. This turned into the first Ren Fair for said youth center. They had a big backyard and lived in L.A.'s Laurel Canyon, which is like a stone's throw from my house, by the way. This is all very, very close. It's an interesting kind of thing because um, Phyllis talks about how, you know, she saw in just a local paper an ad for like, hey, local youth center needs drama teacher or whatever. And she was like, yeah, yeah, I can like handle a handful of kids, whatever. Uh, It turns out there were 80 children all ranging from ages six to like 17 years old. And she was responsible for all of them. And uh, she had this crazy idea that like she would work with the children on the on their like age level in relation to the history of theater. And he created this thing where like the little kids only learned was like fireside storytelling and the like a little bit older. And you had like basic like Greek plays and then the teenagers learned commedia dell'arte which uh came up again it came up in our tenacious d episode it comes up in our harley quinn joker episodes commedia dell'arte man it always comes up and you know this highly improvised highly character-based theater group or theater form uh involves like vagrant uh you know actors uh wearing masks playing these kind of loosely organized but highly improvised uh, uh, uh farces with each other and the teens loved it. The teens absolutely loved it. They uh, built a cart slash stage that they could take to like theater festivals. It really like just teenagers doing Commedia dell'arte and like kind of discovering the freedom of this art form is like one of the core seeds for what made the Ren Fair possible. And uh, Laurel Canyon also during this time, you know, this is uh these are a highly, you know, this is outside of Los Angeles. It's a lot of artists. It's a lot of craftspeople. It's a lot of actors, musicians, uh, costume designers. And these are their kids. And they're all contributing to these performances and building a network of like-minded individuals. Um, Laurel Canyon was actually rocked by the House of Un-American Un- Un- Activities Committee during the blacklisting days because they you know these were proto hippies this was the old left these were like the american communists and socialists all like hanging out and a lot of them were kind of uh feeling the pressure they were you know uh phyllis patterson talks about how when she started working as an educator in los angeles she signed a loyalty oath to like the american way of life and she was like, I grew up in Memphis. Like, I didn't have to sign a loyalty oath in Memphis. Shit was getting a little bit scary. Yeah, you also have to realize, like, talking about the hippie movement, Laurel Canyon was, you know, there have been documentaries, Echo in the Canyon. Um, there's another, like, Laurel Canyon documentary because, like, all these bands, The Birds, Joni Mitchell, um, too, too Many to Name, uh, Mamas and the Papas, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, Buffalo Springfield, there was this giant hippie music scene that was the epicenter was Laurel Canyon. So this is really where shit is popping off hardcore when it comes to the whole hippie movement, at least outside of like San Francisco, New York, places like that. Mm. Um, it really was like just an important place to be in the early to mid, even to late 60s. Very, very important. Patterson said, the whole idea is to get people to play the living history game. Our motto is to tickle into learning with a laugh. So there's always kind of been this idea of like, we're going to trick people into learning about these things by just having them show up and have a silly ass time at our, and if they walk away, have learned a couple of ways to like torture a guy, (laughs) really rip the nails off of him, then great job. Well done. But either way that we're going to set the scene for that. So Ron Patterson, by the way, Ron is an art director that graduated from UCLA. Uh, He's helping. It's kind of between the two of them, the educator and the like art angle, the artistic director. You kind of have this perfect combo to create what would become the Ren Fair. So their backyard session that they have for their the theater class, it's so successful 
they decide, hey, why don't we go public with this? Why don't we actually try hosting like a full-on event? And so that's where they get to the Agora Hills Fair um, that they put on. Uh, It's a fundraiser for the radio station KPFK. Uh, There was actually a six-hour broadcast from the event, and if you want to have a fun little, like, uh, romp down history lane, they they cut it down to about a 45-minute YouTube, like, broadcast, kind of a master cut of the broadcast, and you will get lost in this thing, and they have pictures to accompany it, and it's really fun to listen to, because you're just hearing these, like, goofy goofs from the 60s, you know, put on this thing for the first time and pretend to be, you know, these medieval people. It's just very cute, and it's very old-school radio, too. And so, uh, definitely check that out. KPFK, Pacifica Radio, was this revolutionary thing in, you know, uh, public radio, listener-supported radio, and it was explicitly uh, started to provide a source of anti-war pacifist media to, like, uh, select people to kind of, like, get around all the pro-war, anti-communist propaganda that was proliferating in American media at the time. And so, yeah, the Pattersons pitched uh, holding a big fair to KPFK as kind of a fundraiser. Mm -hmm. For the radio station. And it quickly became one of the station's number one sources of funding. Yeah, over 3,000 people attended. And it really had all the things that we think of today essentially going on in it. The crafts, the 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 combat, all that kind of stuff. The only thing they decided to cut, it made people uncomfortable, the, they built a wooden man for people to kiss. Mm-hmm. But uh, all was going well with that until they found out there was a real man inside the wooden man. And people just really felt uncomfortable with that. They thought they were kissing an inanimate object, Mm -hmm. but there was some horny guy involved that got rid of the wooden man. The classic horror movie, The Kisser Man, (laughs) I believe was based on this. And then when... When Nicolas Cage did the remake and he was like, ah, the bees, they're on my lips. They're kissing me with their stingers. Ah!" (laughs) Ron Patterson actually drew one an ad uh, promoting the fair. Uh, It's uh, an incredible piece of business. You can find it online. But the, the text is jog your deep and merry way to the Renaissance Pleasure Fair and May Market, a benefit for KPFK on the morrow, Sunday, 12 noon. What do ye lack? What's your pleasure? Ballads, block prints, lusters, magic, tapestries, punch and Judy, paintings, archery, candles. Now I'm just like skipping a bunch. Pork pies, folk singers, fruits, still skipping a bunch of things. Donkey carts, alchemy, conjurers, pie sellers, minstrels, round dancing, all for fun and KPFK's profit at Haskell's Ranch. Now explain the lusters. I mean, I don't even understand what that means. I mean, it's a bunch of... Just uh, bizarre. I mean, what are we talking about here? Who are the lusters in the event? I have to assume it's like a jeweler. Okay, I'm thinking it's luster definition sort of, again. Horny group of people just uh, chasing people around. I, it's it's a it's a ceramics term. Oh, it me, okay. It's like a kind of uh, it's like glazing on ceramics. Man, on I need to get into ceramics. Good <laughs> lord! In 1967, the fair moved to Northern California with the Living History Center being a established by Ron and Phyllis, which is uh, just the way, just the organization they created in order to get nonprofit status in order to run it. Their mission, as per the website is, or was, they've since been defunct, to perpetuate interest in and involvement with the handcrafts, humanities, performing arts, and festivals of the past through the practice of living history, educational, and performance techniques. Also from the website that said, since its founding, the center's focus has been the English Renaissance and Victorian periods of Western culture. Two great eras of adventure and achievement, not only in geographical explorations, but also in the arts, humanities, and physical sciences. We believe that heightened awareness and involvement in the life of these rich and creative periods of rapid change and reevaluation of lifestyles and values can give us a perspective on our time and its creative possibilities. It's no coincidence that the topic or at least the subject for these festivals was the Renaissance period because it's usually marked as the transition from uh, Bloody Mary, who's like ironclad, torturous regime of pro Uh, I believe Catholic uh, uh, domination uh, gave way to the Elizabethan era, a younger queen, a more uh, tolerant queen. 
that was open to new ideas and was a patron for the arts and sciences and really opened up just uh, English society as a whole. The, uh, you know, counterculture as it's emerging in this exact era, in this exact time, is seeking for a similar rebirth and a re-examination of the culture. The same way these old, you know, noblemen's and peasants were experiencing back in the day. Yeah, because they're coming out of that like 50s, very like very tightly wound kind of concept of what like a perfect American family is. And they're all rejecting that wholeheartedly and really trying to get more into the arts, more more excited about music and drugs, man. The OG Ren Faire uh, that we've been talking about is set in uh, 1580s Elizabethan marketplace. However, the time period and locale of the fair changes depending on the town it is set in. Other fairs are even in different time periods altogether. Some are set in German or French villages instead of English, an English one. Um, there are also fairs that do lean more into the fantasy elements, that lean uh, others that lean more into the living history aspect. I know uh, the Maryland Ren Fair is specifically set during the reign of King Henry, mm. and they try and keep the actor for King Henry as long as possible, and every year they changed his queen. Right. Right. And there's one weirdly in Florida where they create a Capitol building and they storm it. <laughs> and it's very bizarre. I don't even understand. I don't even I don't know why they call it a Renaissance Fair. Uh, no, um, come on. You've never known true joy until you've watched the ransacking of Pelosi's desk. <laughs> they set up a bunch of desks and an open. Yeah, the pooping <laughs> upon the desk of Pelosi is the what marks the beginning of the festivities. Lady, Lady Pelosi <laughs> has been coveting the documents and it is up for you, young squire. Yeah, they just put, they put makeup on a dog. Uh, and they just start, <laughs> and she is Pelosi. Anywho, but uh, let's get away from Florida for a second. So, so uh, the fairs, by the way, um, the English Renaissance, rather, is said to have taken place from the early 16th century to the early 17th century, as opposed to the Italian Renaissance. And there is, I believe, I, I think there are some set in like the Italian Renaissance. Italian Renaissance was dominated more by the visual arts. It was more started it earlier, it started in the 14th century, more about visual arts. The English Renaissance, more based in literature and music and theater. If I understand correctly, the Italian Renaissance was based mostly around the rise of the Ninja Turtles. Yes, of course. Yeah, all four, Donatello, Leonardo, Michelangelo, Raphael. Whereas here, we're more leaning into stuff like Shakespeare and um, music that thrived in the Elizabethan era. I already mentioned it before. The Acapella Elizabethan Madrigal, which actually was adopted from the Italian Madrigal, uh, which was a way for them to essentially make songs out of sonnets as songs Sonnets were like the generally accepted poetic form of the day, prose form of the, or, or no, yeah, poetry form of the day. And so it was a way for them to adapt those into songs. So that's why you have, so and, and, and so that's why you have the magical song format, but also why you have in a Renaissance fair, more of a focus on bards, on performers, on comedy, on, and if anything, on literature than anything else. Less painting, less less uh, other art forms, for sure. A little bit of dance, for sure. Dance is in there as well. But again, not as much of a focus, I feel like, as theater and music. You can only go around the Maypole so many times before you're like, I'm good. Jeez I'm Louise. Good. Like, are we going around again? Yes, again, t- again. Yes, midsummer. And you're like, whoa, don't set me on fire to bear costumes. Spoiler alert. There's, uh, I just want to stress how much, because again, we're talking, you know, when you think of the hippie era, that's like the late 60s. And all this is happening in the early to mid 60s. And so many things from the Ren Fair in this crucial time and place is influencing the counterculture as we know it. Uh, Ron's like original art for the fair, kind of the flowing text, the kind of warping letters that uh, uh, mark it, kind of like can you can draw a line between that and the kind of flowy kind of rock and roll hippie text that you know that is now associated with the era even the clothing people come to these fairs they buy a puffy blouse they buy a velvet vest they buy some like uh, funky jewelry and all of a sudden you have basically Jimi Hendrix mm-hmm. like the Ren Fair kind of fancy hippie look is born directly from people coming back from these fairs with all these cool costume pieces. So there was also a Renaissance Pleasure Fair of Southern California as well, run by the Living History Center. The organization, however, though, does go bankrupt in 1986. The Southern California Pleasure Fair is acquired by the Renaissance Entertainment Corporation and run by uh, Renaissance 
Renaissance Entertainment Productions. With a name change to the original Renaissance Pleasure Fair, it is less clear what happened to the Northern California one, but it seems to have uh, uh, changed hand as well, hands as well in terms of ownership. Uh, the first one to happen outside of California was the Minnesota Renaissance Festival in 1971. And a fun fact, 1975, Penn and Teller performed their first ever show together at the Ren Fair in Minnesota, which is pretty fun. We should we got to do a Penn and Teller episode. Oh yeah, That's, it just reminded me of that. There's a there's a magician who has been working the Ren Fair circuit for a while uh, named Dinty the Moor, who has all sorts of stories. He would explain that like Teller would uh, do his do this like mime based thing uh, before the show started. And so he would just hold up a sign that said, when there's a hundred needles in the apple, the show will start. And he would just sit there and just place needles in an apple quietly on stage. <laughs> and more so than any like Barker could just, you know, because if you go to the rent fair, there's so many kind of busking techniques that, you know, like if you start a rent fair show, they'll usually open up with like, all right, now I need all the ladies to go hoa, and I need right. all the kids to go tingle-lingle-lingle because you need to make noise to draw people in to see what the commotion's about. And just in total silence, people would come and watch him just fiddle with an apple. And it's like early TikTok. It's like putting rubber bands on the watermelon, yeah. just building that anticipation. And uh, Pendulette was there watching the show and was like, oh, damn, this guy has got like some juice. I bet we can do if I'm the big talky guy and he's the quiet guy, we can do some shit. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So by 1977, there were fairs in Texas, Colorado, New York, Oklahoma, Maryland, and Kansas, and it just kept spreading from there. By the mid-'80s, Europe had followed suit with fairs popping up in England and Italy, uh, and, you know, we talk about the hippie movement and a reaction to post-war America through the 1950s. Oh, God, it's it's even deeper than that. Like the the association with the rent fair and handcrafted goods, you know, it was around the time in the 60s that like mass produced plastic items were becoming common in American stores. And like the idea that there was, you know, craftspeople were kind of losing out on their traditions you kind of just had a whole group of people kind of taking what they knew and moving it into the rent fair circuit where like basically, you know, if you need a hand woven basket or some handmade jewelry, like, you know, it's through the rent fair that a lot of those traditions stayed alive long enough for us to get right, to like right. the Etsy era. No, totally. On top of that, though, we move into the 70s and what becomes all the rage? Rock and roll times to 10, right? Like rock groups. And one of the biggest rock groups is Led Zeppelin. And what's Led Zeppelin obsessed with? The works of J.R.R. Tolkien. And what is like a, the perfect aesthetic for that? The Ren Fair. And so much of, of rock and also just during this time is like that fantasy boom that happens uh, all throughout this time. And it just keeps that momentum rolling and rolling and rolling. I, I feel like the Ren Fair was truly thriving like... I think we're having such a second like golden age of Ren Fairs right now, currently. But I think that for sure through the 60s and 70s, they were just thriving, just really, really, really successful. Not that they ever were like in danger of going away. But I think that was really the peak was was that time until we get to more mo the more modern era when nerd shit becomes cool again. The uh, documentary I watched, Fair, colon, an American Renaissance, uh, you can buy it on Vimeo. I actually bought it on Vimeo. How's that for an anachronism? Nice. Was made in 2014. And a lot of these older hippie types were actually like kind of uh, worried that the way of life was over. Yeah. You know, they were talking about like, you know, if kids want to cut loose, they'll go to a rave. If they want to experience fantasy, they'll just stay on the Internet. Uh, you know, there's an amazing quote where uh, one of the older Santa Claus looking guys is like, I mean, you know, back then I used to throw a quarter in a woman's brassiere and they would be like, ha ha, and enjoy the fun. And now they're just like, you're a dirty old man. <laughs> like, 
And it's, they don't even know. They don't even know that Game of Thrones is right around the corner to just give it a giant kick in the pants. You know, it kind of is in the same like parallel with the popularity of Dungeons and Dragons, right? Mm -hmm. Dungeons and Dragons around the 60s, 70s was like so massively huge and and popular. The satanic panic stuff like kind of gunked it up a little bit. Then nerd shit was super uncool during the grunge era and into the two, into the early aughts. And now Dungeons and Dragons has maybe never been more popular and more widely accepted and played by all different types of people. And that's kind of the cool thing, you know, that I've been seeing more and more often. I find like, I'll hear stuff like, yeah, it's like the, you know, I have friends whose kids like aren't nerds, but they're on their PCs every night playing Minecraft with their friends. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. Like that would have been unheard of when I was going to high school. People like the cool kids being on their PCs playing fucking Minecraft or any kind of game like that. You know, it's just the landscapes totally changed. Oh yeah. I must, I must get jealous a little bit of like the way these kids are growing up. It's like, Oh, do you like demon slayer? That anime? Cool. Yeah. Awesome. I know what you're talking about, even though I'm the jock <laughs> archetype at my school. Like, I'm totally down with demons. You know what I mean? I don't know. I Maybe I'm not missing out. Maybe it's just as bad as it always has been. But it seems like people are so much more accepting. Oh, no, Holden. The children have found new and innovative ways to bully someone into mental illness yeah. that you can only dream of. <laughs> uh, but no, absolutely. Talking to Renfair lifers. Uh, you know, they talk about the individual movements and cultural like wins that affect things. Uh, the person I talked to for the bonus feed uh, said, like, I could t- I noticed the year that like the pewter goblet booth was completely empty. But the guy selling 3D printed dice towers for yeah. Dungeons and Dragons was making killing a killing. It. Yeah, that's crazy. Speaking of D&D, let's talk about Renquest for a second. The Bristol Renaissance Fair decided to toss in a D&D style twist on the format with Renquest. This fair takes place in Wisconsin. It started in 1972, but Renquest came much later. Renquest writer and cast member Julie McMillan said, Renquest was developed in the height of the World of Warcraft era. Because we wanted to take that sense of community and put it back where it belongs, face to face. So hundreds of folks play every year. The game involves usually, I mean, you can do like a one-day visit and play the game, but it generally involves like three visits to the fair to play the full game. Kind of reminds me of what we talked about with uh, Super Mario, uh, or I'm sorry, Super Nintendo World, uh, the new theme parks, and how they gamified that, like, uh, you know, uh, theme park experience. So players take on quests given to them by performers with puzzles puzzles to solve, foam weapon battles to wage, all that sort of thing. There are 30 real-life NPCs involved, along with elaborate props like runes and a giant dragon egg. The basic premise, as per the RenQuest website, is the Order of Camelot has been cursed, and we need champions to set them free. And for those who rise to the challenge, there are dozens of quests that can take you throughout the city of Bristol. Uh, So the story does change every year, but it seems to always kind of be tied to Arthurian legend, uh, for sure, that kind of apply the King Arthur mythos or whatever you want to call it to to the Renfair living history thing. Hundreds of pages of fan fiction have been written around this game and it has been collected on the RenQuest website, but it seems like a no-brainer to me. I'm surprised RenQuest isn't more like widely spread in terms of uh, different rent renaissance fairs. There are, I believe you can do this at more than just the Bristol one in Wisconsin, but how fun! I would wish that, uh, that I could do that. I, I that sounds fun as hell. Like to go and to get have random people like make you t- go on missions and stuff to <laughs> unlock the secret and whatever. It's it's very cool. I'm I'm not gonna lie, Holden. The entire time I just couldn't stop thinking about former Supreme Court uh, Chief Justice William Rehnquist. <laughs> Is that weird? That's weird, right? Absolutely, the weirdest thing you've said on the show thus far. Now, kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum of that is the Society for Creative Anachronism. Oh, we're talking about this. Oh, yeah. I got a bunch of stuff on this. I have a ton of stuff. Oh, shit. I should have talked to my friend. He is deep into this. He used to, like, run around doing, like, mock battles as a Roman legionnaire. Has, like, crazy stories about giving dudes concussions. Oh, I definitely thought this shit was dumb as hell in college. But now I'm like, oh, this would have been fun. You know? I, I wish I didn't feel like I had to be so fucking cool. You, youth is waste, wasted on the young. It truly, truly is. If I <laughs> You're have, getting wistful, man. If I could have the sense of who gives a shit, like the things that you like, if it's fun, it's fun. 
back then, I would have had a lot more fun. But regardless, you're making up for it now. You're making I'm up making for it up now. for it now. How's uh, how's your quest for uh, floor seats for Eras? <laughs> by the way, it's going poorly. I've, a bard <laughs> gave me a riddle. I took it to a wizard. <laughs> the wizard gave me, uh, you know, slightly better uh, back rows. You know, back to the stadium seats, but it wasn't good enough. So I, I unleashed a falcon. Made on me him. drink a, a tonic of hemlock, and like after I threw up, and just said it was a joke. <laughs> so the SCA or Society for Creative Anachronism is an international living history group that focuses on medieval European cultures before the 17th century. And I'm bringing it up because they are aligned with Ren Fairs, like they kind of coexist and have a relationship with each other um, in this in this very uh, unique way. So from the website, it, it reads. Unlike a renaissance fair, SCA activities aren't just something you come to watch. There's something you actively do. You'll learn about the clothing of the period by tailoring and wearing outfits. Learn about combat by putting on armor and competing against opponents. Learn about brewing by making and sampling your own meads and ales. And there are many more subjects to learn about, including armory, archery, cooking, heraldry, metalwork, music, dance, calligraphy, woodworking, and fiber arts. If it was done in the Middle Ages... Or Renaissance, the odds are you'll find someone in the SCA interested in recreating it. This started at around the same time, oddly enough, as the Ren Fair. And in California and in a backyard. But uh, unlike <laughs> the hippies and artists that came together as an excuse to just like live a little free, these were actual medieval history students. Yes, this is uh, University of California, Berkeley, um, and it was led by a woman named Diana Paxson. Diana Paxson said, I was a graduate student at University of California, Berkeley, specializing in medieval literature. I was also active in local science fiction fandom. One of my activities was contributing illustrations to an amateur science fiction fan magazine published by a friend. One day, I noticed that two of the young men in the fan community had some really authentic-looking shields hanging on the wall. They told me that they were trying to figure out how medieval combat worked by actually working out with authentic shields and wooden swords. So I would say that they certainly felt there was something missing in available knowledge and involvement, and I wanted my illustrations to be accurate, as I suspected it was not the same as fencing, which I did myself. Uh, so she invited these two to her backyard so that they could show off their nerdy-as-fuck combat skills to the Middle Ages. And she sat there and sketched them out for illustrations, trying to find more accuracy. And as she was doing it, she was like, this is cool as hell. I bet I, I bet all my other medieval literature nerds with friends would love to c come hang out and watch these guys duke it out. So she invited some other uh, folks over and um, to check out this medieval combat. And then she decided, fuck it, let's hold a small tournament. Now, this is 1966, so a few years after the first like Ren Faire stuff is going on. So then they held a public tournament by passing out flyers to folks around campus and in nearby colleges as well. Paxson said, we ended up with about 50 people all in medieval garb, including 12 guys whose childhood dreams of medieval combat finally had an outlet. She laid out the format for the uh, event, including some entertainment around the actual combat, while the two other dudes who were named Dave Thulis and Ken DeMaif, they worked out a way to score the combat. So kind of like fencing or uh, Lord knows even LARPing, which might get its own episode someday. And the event is incredibly successful, and they start putting on more and more and more of them. And eventually, they the next event uh, actually ends up being in a public park. Uh, in order to get a permit, they needed a name. So this guy named Marion Zim Bradley came up with the Society of Creative Anachronism, which is essentially anachronism is like something from a different time out of place in our time, essentially. Over the next few events, they expanded on it by adding more accurate dance and music. And by the third event, they had their first wedding, something that regularly happens at these gatherings. They also came up with a way for no one to dominate the combat tournament. So every uh, tournament, the winner, the next event, that person comes back crowned as king, and they preside over the festivities. Mm. In the pre-internet age, a lot of communication happened with a journal that later turned into a magazine created by John DeClace in 1967. It was titled Tournaments Unlimited. So the Pattersons, 
are off doing their own thing with the Ren Fair. And they catch wind of the Society for Creative Anachronism and ended up working with them in 1967 to supply a lot of the entertainments for an SCA event alongside a Ren Fair. So this is what establishes a lot of SCA events happening in proximity to Renaissance festivals all over the country. Paxson said... Together, they have created a subculture in which people can make a living doing medieval arts and crafts. But fundamentally, the fairs have to make money, and the SCA only needs to support itself. So the Renaissance fairs are more of a business. Mm -hmm. The SCA is more of a very, like, very intensive hobby for a lot of people. I mean, one of the most fascinating things about the SCA has to be the way they've, like, divvied up the world into, like, fictional kingdoms. Yes, I was about to talk about the spread of it. They they put on a tournament at the World Science Fiction Convention in Berkeley in 1968, and after that, they started getting letters from all around the country asking how to get their own groups going. This created kingdoms all over the country, and it is even almost like a bingo card <laughs> for really, really like heavy duty SCA people to try to try to get a become king at every single <laughs> event by like winning the tournament. Uh, and I think there they did name one guy. They were like, I'm pretty sure it's this guy has the record for most times being crowned king uh, in the most different SCA kingdoms. Very cool. Yeah, they created their own fantasy world. It starts really like simple in 1966. It's just the West Kingdom that's just like California, Nevada, Alaska. It bleeds into uh, Eastern Asia. And then in 1968, there's the Kingdom of the East, which is, you know, New England, Delaware, New York, uh, uh, Canada, but, like, as we go down the line in the 80s, we get the Kingdom of Antir, which is, like, uh, the Pacific Northwest and Idaho. In the 90s, we get the Kingdom of Drachenwald, which uh, is a, the largest kingdom in terms of land. It covers all of Europe, Africa, and the Middle East. And uh, the newest one, according to Wikipedia, is the Kingdom of Avakal. In 2015, uh, it covers Alberta, Saskatchewan, the Yukon, Northwest Territories, and parts of British Columbia. Uh, even the International Space Station is technically part of the SCA's kingdom. I believe it's part of the same where I just saw it. God damn it. Whatever, it's there. Believe me. But this is true <laughs> living history. They do not want you to show up dressed as Homer Simpson or something like that and trying to get involved. This is you got to wear the wo- clothes. You got to... Talk the talk and walk the walk, and people are really into it. And I love this quote from Paxson. I think this really sums up to me what all of this is all about. I think for the real, true, like lovers of these things, both the SCA and the Renaissance fairs, it seemed that most of us had been attracted to the SCA because we felt out of place in the 20th century. And many of us had not had much social experience. Combine that with high creativity and ambition, and eventually we also developed medieval politics. I used to spend a lot of time wondering why an organization which affected neither one's life nor one's livelihood could inspire such passions. I eventually concluded that winning status is a basic human drive, and the SCA community offered an opportunity to achieve it in a way impossible in the mundane society." perfect way, I think, to, to sum up, especially the SCA, but a little bit of Ren Fair as well, just feeling out of place and finding this space where you can feel more like who you really are. Oh, well, goddamn. I guess one of the things that is just always in flux with the Ren Fair is the balance between culture and commerce. Mm-hmm. There's You got to keep the vendors happy. You got to keep the landowners happy. There's definitely been times, especially in the early years where sheriff's departments were scared about drug use and debauched sex and would like uh, really put the hammer down on these festivals early on. Um, there's the, and you know, like uh, if, if I'm selling a Rick and Morty uh, bejeweled ring in sterling silver, does that belong here? Uh, I was told an amazing story about how uh, last year at the Maryland rent fair, they got rid of the hot nuts guy. Because it wasn't, it was uh, putting off the patrons. They didn't find it funny anymore that there was a guy selling candied almonds and peanuts who ran around with a barrel all day going, look at my nuts, put your nuts in my mouth. Hey, everybody, don't you want these hot, hot nuts? Like, because it's, it's, there is like, you know, things are changing with the times. They're using more inclusive language. 
Um, the cleavage is still very much on display, but kind of the uh, rules and and uh, manners around the cleavage is very interesting. Um, people used to just walk around and collect tips just for having their boobs out. And now there's very much cosplay is not consent is the law of the land. Um, although, to be fair, the boob decorating has evolved. Uh, you can now get various adornments and jewels, and you can get your boobs painted at the face painting station. Uh, you know, kink is still very much on display within reason. It's like, uh, it's very fascinating how the, the, the counterculture and mainstream culture are just always are just like existing on two different planes. Yes, at the Ren Fair. I think it's fascinating. Uh, here's some mainstays that you might find at your next Ren Fair. Don Juan and Miguel. I think I remember them. I feel like that. I don't know if this is the same act that I saw, but it sounds very familiar. The Prince of Spain and his manservant serve as swordsman and whipmaster to tell tales of their travels and show off their skills. We watched, I mean, I don't even know how to get to this, Terra Supernova Zara, <laughs> a strong woman who performs feats of strength along with uh, daredevil acrobatics. I feel like the video we watched perfectly sums up the horniness of the fair. She brings up this, this beautiful woman, and they do nothing sexual at all on stage, and yet it is the horniest <laughs> thing I think I I've mean, ever seen. I mean, you see a woman bend a piece of rebar around her incredibly muscled thighs, and your <laughs> mind's going to go places. <laughs> it was so like, funny. God, that I wish that were me, both referring to the rebar and the woman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the washing well winches come for the food, some good, clean fun with two wet, dirty women. Uh, very fun. Uh, uh, Quarry, the riddle master. He delivers mind-twisting riddles in a bardic style. You have the jousters. Every fair has to have a joust. I mean, come on. You got to have it. Bathos, the muse, a traditional minstrel who tells tales and sings. He's the bearded man that I'm imagining. Please tell me you're going to mention Puke and Snot, the longest-running comedy duo on the Rent Fair circuit. How dare I, Jake? Please, go on. They managed to take, like, old-timey fucking Marx Brothers, Laurel and Hardy-ass vaudeville shenanigans, and they make it. Uh, you know, medieval themed and, you know, they tell the dirty jokes, they do the pratfalls, they do whatever. Cause like it doesn't, it's, it, they, the kayfabe of like, as long as it's entertaining, as long as it's not that expensive to put on the show. And as long as you can like sort of make it Ren Faire themed, you are in and you will have an audience and you can be a, a touring performer just off of that. Uh, you know, not like, uh, you know, well, actually, I was going to say it's not like you can be a superstar, but even now in the TikTok era, there's people like Jacques the Whipper, mm. who is a massive viral sensation who does like whip cracking exhibitions and is like bringing in more people into the rent fair scene because he's so big on TikTok. Like it's this amazing kind of the, the street performing arts. Uh, even shit like the Firesign Theater, which is this like insanely politically active early comedy thing that gave way to a lot of like counterculture comedy. Even shit like Monty Python and the history of improv all date back to these guys got their start doing like little Shakespearean things at the Pleasure Fair back in California. The works of Shakespeare abridged that long running theater show started as the Reduced Shakespeare Company and they did Ren Fairs like. It's it's this incredibly active performance art space on top of everything else we've described. Totally. There's also the ancient art of falconry because there's always weird bird people there or whatever. But that's always They're fun. not weird. They're majestic creatures. <laughs> I know the people are weird who hold them. The birds are beautiful. Uh, Jake, I have I have a final quote, uh, but that's about it. Did you have anything else you wanted to cover for this episode? I guess I guess we did a really good rundown. Obviously, the the fair culture in itself, the Rennies, as they like to be called, have you know it's like carny culture, it's like hobo culture. They have their own glossary of terms. They have their own like society within each other. Um, it's it's uh, everything from like the way the games have evolved, the way the food has evolved is all this like folk art that has just evolved. And if one thing catches on, it becomes part of the Ren Faire canon in a lot of interesting ways. But yeah, I guess I never, I never really thought about like how this thing that we all accept as just a normal fun summertime activity became this indelible part of our culture. And I had no idea it like started with us. It started with America. It really is this. And all the contradictions were there right from the start. 
And even though things maybe are getting a little more polite, it's still just a little bit nasty if you scratch under the surface. Yeah, that is what's crazy is that it ended up they ended up opening up Ren Fairs in England. It's <laughs> <laughs> so weird to me that it's like they ended up actually going to where they or where all this stuff really took place. I wonder how amazing and authentic that must feel being in the actual like lands in which these societies were thriving, you know, for sure, like under the actual reign of uh, of Elizabeth. I, I wonder how much more like authentic things get in that sense. Uh, I'd love to go and check those out. But now, yeah, they're Germany. They're they're everywhere. Uh, it's really cool to see. All right, well, how about we end it with this quote here uh, from, uh, well, this is in like, this is a quote that was put into the um, the obituary for our uh, leader, uh, our uh, uh, creator, founder. founder, Phyllis Patterson. Uh, and this was from the Chicago Sun-Times from back when these were first happenings. Uh, a journalist named Neil Steinberg who wrote this. If theme parks with their pasteboard main streets reek of bland, safe, homogenized, white bread America, the Renaissance Fair is at the other end of the social spectrum. A whiff of the occult, a flash of danger, and a hint of the erotic. Here, they let you throw axes. (laughs) Here are more beer and bosoms than you'll find in all of Disney World. (laughs) Amen, brother. Totally what it is. That's what it is, man. That's really what it is. It's just, it's just so, it's like, we need more. Theme parks are awesome, but they're incredibly corporate. And this is such a fun other alternative to like that type of experience where it feels a little more like rough around the edges. Like, I mean, even in general, all the performers and stuff, like who are these people? They weren't like vetted by anyone per se. God knows. How dare you say that about Aaron Bonk, the <laughs> whip master. But it also has just a little bit more substance or a little bit more educational value, wholesomeness in these weird ways than, let's say, like a carnival, a traveling carnival or something like that. No, I said it in the beginning. It's it's carnies with bachelor's degrees. Yes, 100%. <laughs> and it's a beautiful thing. It's 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 like the nerdier end of a, of a car- carnival experience. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And uh, yeah, I think that's our show. Uh, thanks so much for our episode on Renaissance Fairs. Greatly appreciate you guys being here for it. If you'd like to support us further, need look no further than patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Ye old Patreon, where thine canst support us with $5 monthly. You can be our personal Medici family. You can be actual patrons. And I'll be your pet for a week for $1,000 on there. So I'll come to your house, I'll wear a tail, and I'll be your pet. Just one one easy payment of $1,000. For an additional $1,000, I won't do that at your house. Uh, so yeah, thank you so much for that. Check us out. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Uh, $5 a month, you get weekly bonus content. For uh, $15 a month, you can join us on our Sunday study session where we really had a lot of fun watching a lot of footage of different Renaissance Fair acts on YouTube this last Sunday. It was a lot, a lot of fun. So check us out on there. And on both those tiers, you get ad-free mainline episodes. Yep. So, you know, if, you, if you're sick of hearing about trolley gummy worms... Maybe uh, maybe toss us some money. Keep the lights on here. Keep, keep this podcast going. It helps us immensely. I cannot stress enough. It is the lifeblood of what we do. And also, uh, check me out. Twitch.tv forward slash Holtonators Ho. Twitch.tv forward slash Holtonators Ho. I'm streaming Monday through Friday. every Most every week. Uh, especially when I'm in town. And not on tour. LastPodcastNetwork.com for our Southeast run. Atlanta, Nashville, and uh, uh, Tampa. Check us out on that. That'll be in September. Get those tickets up there. Jake! Uh, Go to the, do the tour. Lastpodcastnetwork.com is really good. It's very good. I know I said the other thing was our lifeblood. This is also, we have a lot of lifeblood and it needs constant refreshing. Uh, You can follow me on twitch.tv slash puppet Jared, where I do the cartoon dumpster stream, a weekly deep dive into the animated oddities of the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Uh, it's a grand old time. It's kind of like Saturday morning cartoons meets Mystery Science Theater 3000. Every week, uh, somebody listens to me beg them to come over to that Twitch channel and they come on over and they're like, God damn, this is a lot of fun. You were right, Jake. Don't you want to be one of those people? Don't you want to feel vindicated? 
Come on over. You want to fucking be one of those people, fuckers. I'm telling you right now, okay? Don't let this moment pass you by, okay? Be be one of those people. Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern, twitch.tv slash puppet Jared. That's my little VTuber avatar. It'll make sense when you watch. And uh, what do you want to say uh, for your plugs today, Horrific the Talking Cow? Oh, boy, thanks so much, Holden and Jake. Ah, you can catch me. I'm jumping into a pit of lava on Friday. We're going to televise it on TikTok, all right? Uh, and then don't take it from me. Smoke cigarettes at least until you're 22, then quit. It's a good age for it. All right, well, I got to try to eat my own hooves for uh, uh, someone donated $5,000 on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash horrific the talking cow. How the fuck does horrific have more Patreon than we do? (laughs) He's an abomination. He's going to eat his own hooves. That's amazing. Oh, yeah, if you guys want to come over to my mansion party tonight, by the way. It's a little send-off before I jump in all that lava. Can you believe he got that fucking brand deal with for with Prime, the sports beverage? <laughs> wow. Why is everything the thing and then the and then <laughs> Prime, the sports beverage? Horrific, the talking cow. Anywhoosies. We'll catch you next time, everybody. Always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on wizarding. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.